Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest is Stephen Olson. Stephen is a filmmaker, television producer, and a seasoned spiritual seeker. He's currently producing and directing Global Spirit, a series on national television and the Internet that is an inquiry into humankind's belief systems, wisdom traditions, and states of consciousness. Stephen's work has won numerous national and international awards, including the National Emmy Award for Outstanding Director, the DuPont Columbia Award for Excellence in Broadcast Journalism, and the George Foster Peabody Award. Stephen is also producing the One Through Love Project and is president of the nonprofit media organization, Cultural and Educational Media, at cemproductions.org. Stephen, I'm so delighted you could join us. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Stephen, you call Global Spirit the first internal travel series. What do you mean by that, and how did you come up with this idea? Well, you know, um, how to call what we're doing was uh, an interesting challenge from the <laughs> beginning because it lies outside the confines of uh, religion, uh, culture, entertainment, spirituality. Uh, we thought about... Uh, the experience for the viewer and uh, thought that unlike National Geographic or the Animal Planet where people are so interested in how they behave, the other meaning people from other cultures or other species, here we have a chance to look within and to follow these conversations that hopefully take us inside the inside of ourselves uh, because it's really about being human. Um, the topics, the themes we choose. And so that just sort of led to this concept of inner travel. And um, we thought perhaps we are the first inner travel series, certainly on national television, certainly with a focus on consciousness. Um, so it really grew out of uh, a number of team meetings and some good humor. <laughs> you know, I was just reflecting recently on the, the age of discovery in the 15th, 16th, and 17th century. It was when these adventurers set out across the globe to chart new territory. And I think what we're seeing today is a new age of discovery, but the discovery is going inside into consciousness and the realms where consciousness can take us, which are every bit as vast. You were quite an adventurer in your youth. Tell us, tell us a bit about your early background. Well, let's see. Uh, I grew up in San Francisco. Uh, I was... Uh just on the younger cusp of uh, what was happening in the Haight-Ashbury here as far as the mm -hmm. consciousness movement on the West Coast uh, and was very impressed with people who were, say, four or five, six years older than myself who were really at the heart of that movement. Um, as you know, San Francisco was more, I would say, centered around uh, consciousness, and I think Berkeley much more about political action uh, in those days. Um, I was uh, very impressed when the Beatles went to India. Uh, I had been in Europe uh, by the time I was 19. I started meeting people who were coming back from India, uh, overland, and was very moved by what I was hearing. 
and the whole connection of, uh, I suppose, adventure as a young man and also the kind of spiritual focus of a lot of these travelers. Um, I came out of a Roman Catholic background myself, uh, was actually an altar boy and did the Mass in Latin, uh, got very close to the ritual aspect of Christianity and was very moved by music, incense, um, ritual in general. And I think that had a early effect as I ventured uh, eastwards through Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, through the Islamic world, started seeing some profound similarities between Islam and Christianity, was very moved by the hospitality, the generosity, the power of the congregation, the Islamic prayer, uh, right through India, uh, I'm sorry, right through Afghanistan, Pakistan, and then, of course, India, which is sort of like a, a spiritual explosion, uh, exposure to Hindu tradition, obviously Buddhism, Jainism, Baha'ism, uh, Christianity of that particular stripe that entered South India really from shortly after the time of Jesus, <clears throat> and really saw how religious identification is so central to society and to human behavior. So um, all this while I was in and out of uh, university studying anthropology and communications, uh, basically found myself gravitating from uh, anthropology into uh, a study of consciousness and faith traditions, and uh, that paralleled with a growing interest in filmmaking and storytelling. So um, all that ended up pointing towards a, a series of films um, and then television series um, right down to the present with Global Spirit and One Through Love. Well, uh, was there a particular spiritual teacher who influenced you? You know, I met with many spiritual teachers uh, throughout India. In fact, I, I, I made an early uh, naive filmmaker's attempt to tell the story of spiritual seekers like myself in India. And then, of course, in a most unexpected way, I had the incredible fortune to stumble upon a Sufi saint in Sri Lanka named Baba Muhayadeen, um, who was not affiliated with any Sufi lineage, uh, but a deeply, deeply spiritual man, and probably of all the spiritual teachers I met, the one who had, in my opinion, totally transcended his ego. And um, I ended up staying there in Jaffna with Bawa for a couple of months, helping him build a, uh, a, a, a house of universal prayer as Bawa saw that Sri Lanka was about to disintegrate into... Uh, religious sectarian violence, wanted to build a place where Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims and Christians could pray together. Um, so he was definitely influential. I decided on the, after meeting Bawa to move to Philadelphia, where Bawa was spending uh, alternate years at that point. And uh, Bawa, by the way, is the same Sufi teacher who so affected uh, Coleman Barks. And as Bawa encouraged Coleman to translate Rumi and work with Rumi, uh, he also encouraged me to keep taking pictures, keep doing the work I was doing. So 
Um, yeah, he was definitely an influence. Yeah. I was interested in your comment about his building a center where all religions could come together. Um, this this understanding of consciousness and the universality of it, uh, and the the way that it really unites all religions, is something that's really informed your work. Um, is this where it started? I think so, you know, and uh, for that matter, as I now think, uh, Bala was himself a product of a multi-religious background. You know, Sri Lanka, um, like Konya of Rumi's time, uh, was full of people of different faiths. Uh, Bala was a vegetarian, and how many Sufi sheikhs do you meet who are vegetarians? Uh, I've never met another one, and that really is connected to his Hindu surroundings there in Sri Lanka. Um, so consciousness of this type or realizing or feeling or sensing that everyone's praying uh, to the same God and the consciousness element that people are bringing to, the, to their own religious practice is, as Sufis, as is any Sufi will tell you, is really all one. And yet, we still find blood being shed around the world in the name of these religions. Um, <clears throat> do you sense that this is a time of change in that respect? I hope it's a time of change, as the more conservative fundamentalist religious forces, you know, enact their policies and wreak havoc on societies, uh, more and more people are starting to see that what they're offering in terms of spiritual evolution is perhaps not as, um, not as necessary or exclusive as they once thought. Uh, and of course, the whole mystical tradition, uh, and as people in the West and elsewhere have been identifying themselves more as spiritual than religious in recent years, people are starting to look uh, at the forces that create inner peace, uh, and that is hopefully an inner peace that is extended outwards to society. So there were points in history, for example, where uh, Islamic mystics, Sufis, actually were in the majority in different parts of the Middle East, and those times were most often associated with religious tolerance, uh, tolerance of, you know, Muslims and Jews living side by side, Sephardic Jews living mostly in harmony with their Muslim neighbors and Christian neighbors. And um, this was a time before religion had become so polarized and politicized. And uh, I can only hope that uh, people having have, are having increased glimpses of that now and orienting themselves accordingly. I'm, I'm hoping also that they see that religious extremism is really a dead end. It just doesn't lead anywhere. Anyway, I was um, smiling to myself when you were talking about coming up with the name for the series because um, the mission of New Consciousness Review uh, is very much 
the same as, as your mission in terms of the, the scope that it encompasses. And I had the same difficulty in coming up with a name. And even though nobody can spell consciousness the same way twice, um, I had to choose that for the name of the company and website. So um, I, I wanted to know, when did you start producing the Global Spirit TV series? Uh, I think we produced our first program about three years ago, and that was uh, for Link TV. Uh, I'm one of the co-founders of Link TV. That's a national satellite television channel on both the Direct TV and Dish networks. Uh, Link TV gave me space to create programming and a series that uh, spoke to people on who identify themselves as uh, consciousness-centered or people who are on a spiritual journey. That was immensely important and helpful. Uh, some funders came forth to fund specific programs. Uh, I remember the budget for the first couple of shows was extremely meager, but then gradually we started having a body of work. Uh, more foundations took notice more private individuals took notice, uh, the series expanded. And then just this year, uh, we've remastered the programs in high definition. We uh, attracted the interest of John Cleese, who agreed to be our presenting host for the series, and uh, attracted the attention of public television, who asked us to uh, bring the series to PBS, which we've done starting uh, just this past July. Mm -hmm. In fact, John Cleese has volunteered his, his services, which I found very impressive. Uh, tell us about your other, uh, well, both hosts, Phil Cousineau. Uh, how did you get together with Phil? Well, Phil had worked with some uh, local filmmaker friends of mine here in the Bay Area, and uh, when they heard about the kind of uh, host I was looking for, recommended Phil. And I think... Um, they are producers themselves and uh, really had a, a good grasp of the complexity of the role. Um, after meeting Phil, I, uh, I sensed a genuine authenticity in his, uh, in his approach, in his spiritual search, and um, both a breadth of experience through his many years of contact with Joseph Campbell and Houston Smith uh, and also a depth to his inquiring mind and, and spirit. So we hit it off. We realized that uh, we can be more than the sum of our parts. Uh, television is often a hosted medium. Uh, Phil is a wonderful uh, advocate for understanding other faiths as well as uh, bringing a great history of working with indigenous peoples, indigenous cosmologies, uh, which is a very different kind of behavioral grammar, um, how to talk to, how to relate to uh, Eskimo shamans, uh, Navajo teachers. Um, Phil, is, Phil is wonderful, and um, I'm so happy that uh, he brings such a different uh, background in history to this. Mm -hmm. If you've just joined us, uh, this is New Consciousness Review, and we are chatting with producer-director Stephen Olson about the Global Spirit TV series.
Stephen, how would you characterize this series? I would say that um, Global Spirit tries to... Uh, remember, I'm a filmmaker, so Global Spirit is a mixture of deep conversation and experiential film segments. Uh, so the idea here is to let film do what it does best, which is create a direct experience of a situation or a topic or a theme, uh, and then let conversation do what it does best, which is uh, discuss, explore, analyze from different points of view, uh, and go deeper. Uh, it's, it's an attempt to, to bring these pre-produced video sequences together with spontaneous conversation, often open-ended conversation, and, uh, and see what happens. You know, every program is, is a bit of an experiment. We, we, uh, we're certainly thinking a lot about personal chemistry as we cast or bring together uh, different experts, it's not just who they are as individuals. It's, again, how they click with the other guests we bring in mm -hmm. and with Phil. So there is this sense of um, a spontaneous unfolding, which is very different than, you know, well-known authors on a speaker's tour, you know, promoting their last book. Uh, one has a sense, I think, I hope, with Global Spirit, that our guests actually take each other to some new place, some new, uh, what we call, if not revelations, you know, magic moments where uh, they're discovering something for themselves the first time on camera. Mm -hmm. that, that's a kind of, uh, that's a kind of uh, high that a producer-director gets, which is not scriptable and uh, just wonderful to experience. And when the audience feels this and senses this, you know, they are moved and grateful. Mm -hmm. I, I was watching your clip of Karen Armstrong uh, discussing with Bob Thurman, which both of whom are absolutely marvelous presenters. But as you say, there was this marvelous chemistry between them. How did the, the meeting between the Eskimo shaman and the Mayan spirit healer go? Well, that was an interesting uh, program because we thought it would be so interesting if we had them actually meet on the Global Spirit set for the first time. So uh, Uncle Anangak came in from Greenland, and uh, we had him in one hotel. And then we had Fleur de Mayo, who came into San Francisco from New Mexico, from Albuquerque. And we had her in another hotel. And we had separate drivers bringing them to the studio at different times. We had sort of the makeup done separately. And literally, we had Uncle sitting, Uncle Ananak sitting on the set as Fleur de Mayo walked in and joined him. And uh, again, it's just kind of having fun with the spontaneity of the moment uh, to see how they meet each other for the first time. You know, the way television is wonderful in that sense because you actually can see the qualitative side of, of human behavior and the, the nuance and how they look at each other, how they hold each other, how they hug each other. And um, that was fantastic. And then taking them both to Muir Woods, which is a, oh, which is a redwood park nearby of uh, old growth redwoods. Again, you know, here's uncle coming from Greenland where there are no trees. Mm -hmm. um, 
experiencing for the first time, you know, 400-foot-high redwoods that are that are 15 feet across. Um, and Florida Mayo, who brings this amazing Mayan sensitivity to the earth and to all life. So this was the kind of program we wanted to we wanted to offer. We didn't know quite how it was going to turn out, but uh, they fell in love on the on the program. You know, <laughs> it was beautiful. So, um, how many of you uh, of these this series have you done so far, and what what is in production? Well, there are ten programs that are going out now on public television. We're calling that season one. Uh, we have about three more that have been produced that will be part of season two. Uh, we're just this Friday. We're uh, filming a program on uh, Rumi and the Sufi path of love. So this it, this will be looking at the Islamic mystical tradition and at Jalaluddin Rumi as a unifying force that can hopefully bridge some of the divides between Islam and Christianity so that perhaps Christians uh, and Jews will realize that, you know, uh, Islam also has a, a loving side and a mystical path of love. So that's coming up next. Uh, we have another program from we shot at the United Nations called Earth Wisdom for a World in Crisis. This is an indigenous people's story uh, petitioning the United Nations to uh, work to create a sustainable future for us. Uh, um, and then we have a program coming up called Crossing the Great Divide, which is really about uh, death as transformation. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll be producing that in October. And then we are, you know, we're constantly writing proposals and trying to raise funds to do other programs. We have a, we have a whole series two uh, drafted, uh, but we're obviously open even to new ideas and concepts as we move forward. Mm -hmm. Is it a challenge to find support for this kind of project? Well, these are tough economic times, uh, and television is a little more expensive than radio. And we're trying to keep our production values, you know, high. Um, so, yeah, it is, it is a bit of a challenge. We've been hoping to find funders who would come in to fund several programs at once rather than trying to fundraise per program. Uh, we've made some progress with that. Um, but uh, honestly, a good 60 to 75 percent of my time is involved uh, involves fundraising rather than producing the programs. If we had a larger support, we would be able to actually be able to book with public television a season two and a season three well in advance and be able to promote it, promote it perhaps better than we are now. Well, I, you know, I wish uh, our listeners would have the opportunity to see some of these programs, um, you know, even clips uh, online will we'll tell us what the website is right now yeah our website is uh, globalspirit.tv and there you will find uh, segments from all of the programs uh, background materials on our program guests um, and a general kind of vision behind what we're doing uh, and uh, that website is of course a project of, of CEM Productions so uh, the the nonprofit that's the heart of all this 
is producing uh, Global Spirit and the um, the One Through Love project, um, which is also available online. Lots of video materials from Rumi scholars and lovers from around the world, uh, and a spectrum of other films that we that we've produced and are distributing. So it's kind of interactive website. People can leave comments. They can send us questions. We pass on to the program guests. Uh, we're trying to uh, trying to make it as visual and as lively as we can. Have you ever thought of crowdsourcing the support for this, or or are the budgets too big? You know, the budgets are a little large. Crowdsourcing um, involves an awful lot of time from the um, from the producer's point of view, mm -hmm. and um, it's uh, we have we have thought of it. We may do it. Uh, we're hoping now, given our kind of um, exposure now with public television, that we will be able to attract either foundation support or private individual support that will kind of carry us to um, another kind of continuity of production. You know, you, you see these surprise uh, successes at the box office on the part of of these independent feel-good films. And it seems like the industry is caught flat-footed every time. They just, you know, don't get the message that there seems to be a hunger for more substantive and meaningful entertainment. Uh, you, you would think that even commercial organizations with uh, the bottom line in mind would get the message and get behind something as beautiful as your series. Well, yeah, I think um, films that come along that really probe some of this area, um, I'm thinking of uh, I Am, perhaps What the Bleep. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at where they're released in the U.S., uh, they tend to be, you know, uh, major metropolitan areas and, and college towns, and they attract and fill uh, cinemas for sometimes three days, sometimes a week, sometimes longer. Uh, television is a somewhat different environment. As you know, you're presented with a lot of choice. So some of it is actually finding global spirit. You know, uh, it's not terribly easy. We, we, have, um, we have guidelines on our website, globalspirit.tv, for people to see the PBS broadcast schedule in their area. So different areas are showing the series on different days of the week and different times of the day. Part of the challenge is finding people, and then uh, it's about word of mouth and people spreading the word, telling each other, uh, telling their friends who are also interested in these topics uh, where we are. Mm -hmm. So we're, gr we're growing, our momentum is encouraging, and uh, we're getting the word out. Here we are on radio, um, our Facebook, uh, Global Spirit Facebook uh, site is... Uh, growing immensely each week as the series uh, rolls out on public television. Well, we will certainly do our bit to send you links and so on. Um, how do you hope that the programs that you have in mind will impact viewers? I think that uh, while I hesitate to get too specific about how we wanted to impact viewers, uh, I suppose there is this this sense that people will view something um, that will strike a deep chord within them, either from the 
pre-produced film sequences or the conversation themselves that will actually take their own journey, their own evolution further. Something they've been thinking about, perhaps, that is expressed in a way that's particularly meaningful for them. These things can't be calculated, they can't be scripted, but uh, I just hope that by putting out uh, the messages from such a range of great teachers uh, that, like myself, who's, who's been so moved by what I've heard, that there's a, a national and international audience out there who's similarly moved by uh, such great comments and such great insights from, from our wide group of guests. And the other thing is that the, the wide variety of programs that you have, uh, I'm sure some people will resonate very strongly with some and some with others. It's just like some people are passionate about saving the whales and other people are passionate about, you know, uh, helping give Vietnam vets get over PTSD, which I mentioned because that was one of your projects. That's right. Um, In fact, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you want to expand on that? Sure. Um, that's so true. You know, uh, our program Forgiveness and Healing, which focuses on uh, a trip back to Vietnam uh, of, of traumatized Vietnam War vets 40 years after the war, um, opens up a whole doorway of healing conversations. And Ed Tick, the psychotherapist and author who leads that trip, um, basically is, is taking these vets into what he calls their second descent into hell uh, to face their former enemies, to realize that Vietnam is a country and a culture, not just the name for a war, uh, and basically works with the vets to ask for forgiveness from the Vietnamese people. Mm-hmm. It's transformative, and when veterans from any war see this kind of story unfolding, um, they're moved and they want to talk about it. And they send us comments and emails. And uh, I have a a blog site on the Huffington Post, and I think that program received more feedback and comments than any others. And uh, if you read them, they span, you know, there are so many people who are suffering so many Americans who are suffering from PTSD and looking for a way out. And uh, I think Ed Tick is doing remarkable work. Uh, He wrote a book called War in the Soul. Um, He's just a remarkable uh, teacher. And um, to make his work available to vets who are coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, um, where such return trips are not yet possible, uh, can have a huge impact. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You remind me of a, a quote I read from Golda Meir from a thousand years ago, where she said that she can forgive the Arabs for killing her children, but she can't forgive them for turning her children into killers. Mm. Oh, that's powerful. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and what you say is that each, each program will trigger something, trigger some epiphany in the, the viewer that will just push them a little bit along on their own spiritual path or emotional path. 
uh, th that's probably why it's such a great thing that you have Phil Cousineau, who's who's really a scholar of the Joseph Campbell work, the the hero's journey. That's what we're all on, isn't it? Indeed, we're all on that journey, and um, we hope that Global Spirit provides a little inspiration along the way. Uh, for people who are on that journey, who are looking for something meaningful on television to watch. Yeah. Um, you, you talked about the program that you have uh, scheduled for Global Spirit on uh, Rumi, and you have this whole website set up uh, for uh, studies or... or uh, production about Rumi. I watched the first um, interview with Andrew Harvey. Bless him. I I actually filmed him about a hundred years ago, um, doing readings from Rumi, and he was in full flight as only Anthony. <laughs> and th this. Uh, uh, interview is absolutely priceless, and I, I absolutely recommend it to our listeners. Go to the, the website. Tell us what the website is, and tell us what your hope is for it. Uh, the website is called onethroughlove.org. That's O-N-E, and through is T-H-R-O-U-G-H, onethroughlove.org. Um, this is what we're calling a gathering of lovers, and these uh, lovers are scholars uh, dervishes, practitioners of, from various countries and cultures organized around the theme or around the personage of Jalaluddin Rumi, the 13th century Persian poet. Um, so there are a series of short video segments, each of which is, is narrated by a different lover, uh, the idea being that uh, there are so many facets to this beautiful gem that looking at the work of Rumi through different filters, through different language traditions, uh, has never been done before. So we have what I think is the first cinematic multilingual website devoted to the teachings of Jalaluddin Rumi. Uh, our host, Parisa Sultani, is a multilingual person uh, who grew up in Iran, uh, speaks, of course, fluent Farsi, uh, studied in Turkey, speaks fluent Turkish and English, and Quranic Arabic. So the idea here is that all of the video segments are subtitled uh, in four languages so that uh, people around the world are watching the same video and responding, sending comments, uh, hopefully meeting each other through this gathering of lovers. It is so... Uh, such a positive contribution to be able to present um, Islamic thought in this um, coming from love as opposed to coming from hate. It's, it's such a great antidote to what the media are purveying. What, actually, uh, th that's a good question. What is your impression of the media today? <laughs> uh, well, it's becoming, uh, the, the media is becoming in a way more diverse in terms of niche markets. Um, however, the dominant points of view uh, are maintained, whereas we used to have three networks 
uh, and a totally kind of monolithic media structure. Now we have 500 networks, but it doesn't seem to be any less monolithic uh, philosophically uh, or spiritually. Um, what we, what we um, are trying to do with, I think with Link TV, the creation of Link TV was an attempt to bring a kind of diverse cultural points of view to the news. Uh, now people, of course, are, you know, having to select their own. I mean, uh, some people watch British news with its own biases. Some people watch news from Al Jazeera English uh, with its own biases. People are putting together their own kind of information packages and hopefully starting to see through um, the man behind the curtain a bit. Who's writing these scripts? What are the interests behind, you know, I mean, even something so sort of sacred as the BBC, well, how do they, how did they cover events in Northern Ireland uh, or in Cyprus or in other ex-colonies? You know, there are vested interests everywhere. And I think the, I hope and believe that our audiences are getting more sophisticated to see, you know, what, if any, are the agendas behind the news. And of course, cable news, you know, agendas being so clear politically um, has sort of helped people move into this uh, to this new new era really of, of uh, either they say questioning all news or subscribing to the news that one believes in mm-hmm. uh, yeah uh, it's it's interesting we have uh, I'm in Portland Oregon and we have quite a, a liberal uh, population um, and yet, one of one of our local stations, which is you know very very um, left wing, sometimes is just as guilty of uh, kind of I don't want to call it hate mongering, but but certainly ra- raising the temperature of the debate uh, beyond cool and rational levels. Um, and uh, the the fact that we do have the ability to vote with our remote control or vote with our dial um, or internet makes makes a big difference. That's kind of what people are doing with their spirituality as well. There, you you get this phenomenon of of um, Jewish Buddhists and uh, Sufi Catholics and so on. Absolutely. Um... You know, there's a, in our onethroughlove.org uh, website, one of our Rumi lovers, uh, Llewellyn Von Lee, is a Sufi teacher who speaks so eloquently about uh, consciousness and the Internet and the Internet's uh, ability to provide people with spiritual teachings that they never had access to before and how the Internet can really be seen as a, as a tool of, heightened human consciousness. Uh, I think we're in a totally new era, and uh, the, way, the way information is being shared, the way great teachings are now available, you know, just think 20, 30 years ago, what kind of library you needed to visit to have access to any of these things that we're talking about now. Uh, now you can do it from your bed. 
you can be a bedridden person and basically, you know, you could learn about Taoism. You could learn, you could read Joseph Campbell. You could, you can go all kinds of places. So it's really about, uh, particularly people of the baby boomers age and older, uh, about almost like training them to realize what is available. And, uh, of course, you know, humans are figuring this out for themselves and, uh, it's very encouraging. I mean, I think, you know, as opposed to the, the kind of growth of porn on the Internet, you know, consciousness uh, studies and, and explorations of consciousness, I really think, uh, point to a kind of a high-water mark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, of course, um, alternative health kind of has been spearheading the way where people are taking their own health, the responsibility for their health, into their own hands. Um, I I remember when I went to university, the teachers said that their responsibility was not to teach us material, but to teach us how to learn. And so now we have this amazing library, as you said. I mean, think of the library at Alexandria. This is by far greater than that. Right at our fingertips. It really is a revolutionary time in that respect. And we have friends who can point us, uh, friends who we share, you know, uh, uh, and have relationships of trust with who point us in directions or who discover things and are able to share those discoveries with us. You know, this is, this is exactly how, how Global Spirit is spreading. We have embeddable video segments. People are coming upon us and uh, forwarding the video segments to their friends. It's beautiful. I mean, I'm a filmmaker by training. You know, this never happened before. You know, it was always about film festivals and how many people you could get. And, yes, there may be, you know, VHS cassettes available or DVDs available, but that was weeks later. It's so immediate now, and um, conversations are springing up. And, uh, you know, film, thankfully, is proving to be as compelling as ever, uh, though in shorter segments. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, um, and you think that that's because of limitations on attention span? Well, a lot's been said about shorter attention spans, you know. Um, but I think, to be fair, um, Internet viewing is is uh, less appropriate for feature-length experience. You know, there is something about the, the uh, collective experience of being in a theater for example, that uh, that still is relevant. Um, I think people want to multitask, and they want to have a television show going while they're online and look at a number of shorter pieces that they can concentrate on for shorter periods of time as they as they live the rest of their life, as they cook dinner, as mm-hmm. they take care of their kids. So I don't know what comes first, you know. Um, uh, if this, you know, younger generations really do, as it has had been argued, really do have shorter attention spans when it comes to media, or if the technology itself is is fostering that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Stephen, um, tell us again about the different websites that uh, you want to direct people's attention. Oh, sure. To. Yes. Well, we've been talking about Global Spirit, so um, I would suggest people uh, go to globalspirit.tv where they can see uh, 
multiple segments from each of our programs there and um, find out our broadcast schedule or order DVDs, uh, they can go to our CEM Productions website where they can see and link to everything that we're doing. Uh, or they can go to onethroughlove.org, which is our website devoted to the teachings of Jalaluddin Rumi, and join our gathering of lovers, send in comments, and hopefully be inspired. <laughs> Um, and when do you expect to release A Soldier's Heart? Well, uh, A Soldier's Heart, we hope to release in the next two months. We are, um, we're sort of jockeying for our film festival premiere. Um, and following that, we intend to offer A Soldier's Heart to uh, veteran centers throughout the country um, and veterans groups. Uh, Probably the film will be on the film festival circuit for about six or eight months and then go to broadcast, perhaps PBS in the U.S. Um, but we'll be showing more segments from A Soldier's Heart on our website as well. Do you have to pay to get something broadcast on PBS or do they pay you? <laughs> and that's a great question. Um, in terms of uh, Global Spirit, uh, it's basically, uh, as far as national distribution on PBS, it's a, uh, it's a donation. Mm -hmm. A donation uh, in that um, PBS itself really likes the series. They want to show it. They're enthusiastic about it. But they themselves uh, say that they don't have the budget to pay for it. So from our point of view, it's a decision based on visibility and the number of U.S. households, um, a station or a channel or a network like uh, Oprah Winfrey Network, you know, perhaps has more of a budget to pay for things, but as a smaller audience share. So we really have to ask ourselves why we're doing this anyway. <laughs> and uh, the reason we're doing it uh, is to, um, is to uh, impact as many viewers as possible. So since we're a nonprofit organization, we... As long as we can raise the money to produce the programs, it uh, puts us in, an, in a position to essentially give them away once they're done. A question I ask myself every day. Um, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave with our listeners, Stephen? Final thoughts? Um, I guess it would just be um, thank, you for, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And... Uh, if you are moved by anything that was said, you know, please do go a bit deeper, uh, view some of our videos, uh, talk to your friends about them, share them. They're meant to be shared. They're meant to inspire. And tell us how we're doing. Send us emails, uh, comment to our Facebook uh, site, and uh, tell us how you think we're doing and what kind of programs you'd like to see. Any suggestions for funders, of course, are welcome, whether foundations or individuals. Um, I guess that's it. And the best way to get in touch with you would be through your CEM website, which would be? CEMproductions.org. That is CEM, like cultural educational media. Mm -hmm. CEMproductions.org is our nonprofit organization. So you can, um, you can make a donation. You can buy DVDs. 
um, which are a donation to our to our work. Everything happens through the cemproductions.org website. Mm-hmm. Well, I I can't recommend the series highly enough. It's a, a beautiful and and really evocative and inspiring series. So, Global Spirit, produced by uh, and directed by Stephen Olson, now airing on PBS. And through his website, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. And I wish you the greatest of success in reaching people um, with your important messages. Thank you, Miriam. So great to join you. Good luck with your series. Thank you. Goodbye. And you can now download our mobile app and not miss a single show. You'll find the link on our website at ncreview.com, where you can scan the QR code right into your iPhone or Android. As a bonus, it has two other tabs for the latest books and videos on our site. Our guest next week will be James Wanless, talking about his new book, Sustainable Life, The New Success. And now it's time for our track of the week with music selected by Scott Johnson from among members of the Positive Music Association. With styles ranging from pop and rock to folk and jazz, this growing group of musicians is using music not only to entertain, but to make a positive difference in people's lives and in the world. This week we're featuring All These Atoms by Greg Tamblin.
seem to be parts of you were once a tree, once a fish in the primal soup. Something's dinner, something's poop. Fifteen billion years ago, the big bang was quite a show. All this time and now here we are. But parts of you were once a star. All These Atoms by Greg Tamblin, a motivational humorist, singer, songwriter, speaker, author, and MC for over 20 years. Based for many years in Nashville, Tennessee, Greg discovered that there was no shortage of Why Me songs and began exploring ways to lighten up life's challenges with mind-expanding songs like Self-Employment Made Harder by Difficult Boss and Analog Brain in a Digital World. You can learn more about Greg on his website, gregtamblin.com. That's G-R-E-G-T-A-M-B-L-Y-N.com. To discover more great music or to join the PMA, go to positivemusicassociation.com. And I hope you'll check out our website at ncreview.com. It's a great resource for you. Well, that wraps up our show for today, so until next week, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.